shit. You're here. <laughs> you look so pretty. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. This is your girl, J-O-E. Welcome back to another episode of Shit Under My Nails. I am back and it is season four officially. And now that we're going into the month of October for season four, it makes me a little excited to still bring you some spook and some fright for the month of October. Now, we're going to classify it as murder, mystery, and mayhem. Um, Each and every episode will have a different criminal and we'll get into the minds, the lives, and the history of these criminals. I'm super duper excited. We're going to get through them from beginning to end. Get ready and buckle up your seats. This is a small disclaimer warning. The warning presentation is intended for a mature audience. It contains graphic description of crime scenes, adult dialogue, and strong language. Viewer discretion is advised. All right, you guys, let's jump right into it. Today's criminal is someone by the name of Joseph... Roy Metheny, okay? He was known as Joe Blow, and he was born on March the 2nd, 1955 in Baltimore, Maryland. His mother and father was Jeannie and Earl Metheny, and they were middle class. Joe was one of six children. Some reports basically state that his father wasn't a present parent because of the simple fact his father was an alcoholic and from what I read on Joe his attorney was trying to use a lot of things as far as insanity and that he was a neglected child but his mother Miss Jeannie she was like "Uh uh-uh I did my best as a single mother when his father got into a car accident after my son was six years old They didn't, of course, see me as much because I worked three different jobs. I worked as a barmaid, a waitress, and a food truck delivery person. So I did the best that I could. I made sure that they had a roof over their head, clothes on their back, and food in their stomach. The way they described Joe from his family members that would babysit him when his mother was away at work was they would describe him as... A very soft-spoken, kind of heavy-set little kid full of joy. You know, he enjoyed to play outside, ride his bikes. A couple of reports stated that he would get in a couple of neighborhood scuffles, but he was well-mannered and he was real polite. Um, According to his mother, she basically stated that if Joe felt neglected as a child, that was of his own doing. If he felt like he was alone, that was of his own doing. Many people, and of course, the information that I read basically stated that he felt like he was in a foster-like situation. And his foster-like situation led him to mentally believe that his parents were both deceased because he didn't see his mother as much and his father was deceased. And 
that was technically not true. But of course, his lawyer was going to try to use that to his defense later on in this episode. So you'll see. Um, basically, you know, by the time Joe was 18, which was back in 1974, um, he decided to join the army and he was stationed in Germany. And according to his lawyers, his lawyers is basically putting it out there. Oh, yes, he was stationed in Vietnam. And that is why he decided to do crack cocaine. But there are no official reports or uh any sort basically stating that Joe was in Vietnam. They stated that he he was stationed in Germany and eventually he met a young lady who he got close to, according to his mother, reports from his mother, who he would write and or call every now and then. Um so Joseph would make mischief everywhere he would go. Um, a couple of disorderly conduct, a couple of situations where he basically would go anywhere on the south of Baltimore to basically pay for booze, pay for crack cocaine, and maybe a Southern Comfort, which is a hotel for those who don't know. A lot of the bar reps on the south side, mainly around Washington uh, Boulevard, knew exactly like who he was. Um, the young lady who he met, I'm not for sure, and I didn't read in the reports if this young lady was the mother of his child or was this the young lady that kind of sort of introduced him to drugs. There is no, you know yes or no situation about that but basically he met this person with him drifting between tent city and uh baltimore and tent city is one of the homeless camps and he would drift between homeless camps and go back and forth between the bars now from what it was told, eventually he didn't have enough money to have uh, to be able to afford any more hotels. So he began to squat at townhomes on the south side of Maryland. He eventually meets a young lady. He, in some reports, they claim that that was his wife, but I have yet to see a produced marriage license. But other reports state that it was just his girlfriend. Um, him and his girlfriend, of course, they both would drink and do drugs together. They ended up having a child, a little boy. Um, right then and there, I guess that would, that is what had um, Joe at a turning point of getting his life together. He began working as a truck driver. And of course, a lot of the times he wasn't home. One day, um, July of 1994, after working overtime at his job as a truck driver, Joe came home and found his house to be completely empty. Um, his girlfriend had taken everything, including their six-year-old son, and left him. Um, of course, Joe was completely heartbroken, and he had some things to say. 
This is a quote from him. And he said, her leaving was not the problem. But she took my fucking son with her. She was crack addicted and a worthless piece of shit. I would have paid her to get out of my life. And all she had to do was take my son over to my mother's house and she could have everything else and be gone. End quote. Um, he wanted to make sure that he was there for his son as he felt that his parents weren't there for him. After all of this was said and done, there was reports stating that he would go look for his girlfriend at the time as well as their son. He wasn't able to find them. And then there was a police report within a six-month time frame after his looking. Um, basically, his girlfriend was with a new boyfriend. And basically where they were, they got busted for drugs. And some reports, and this is what they say, basically put Joe over the edge. Some reports basically state that his girlfriend at the time who had his son um, was, quote unquote, selling ass for drugs for her boyfriend while she had Joe's son. And that is how they got busted. Um, once they got busted, basically, um, child, protective child services took their son because they deemed it as child neglect and abuse with a criminal record that uh, Joe had, as well as his girlfriend at the time. Well, ex-girlfriend, neither one of them would be able to get the child back. Now, there are no reports of where the child is at this moment or if this child has had children. We don't know because they kind of sort of kept his name out of the limelight. That right there became the domino effect that basically made everything go on. Um, Metheny basically, um, he wanted to take revenge in his own hands. So he decided to go on a murder rampage, okay? Because his girlfriend at the time, or ex-girlfriend, wanted to take his son. So according to him and a couple of written statements that he wrote, while he was in prison, incarcerated for other crimes, he wrote that within that six-month time frame, um, around early 1995, Joe was charged in a murder of two 33-year-old homeless men, Randall Brewer and Randy Pike. Okay, um, it was thought that he was the killer, um, that he killed them in makeshift camp. So it was like one tent city was against another tent city. And of course, Joe was with one of the tent cities, which is a homeless camp that had a wood cutter axe that was hidden under a rotten sofa. And only people in that specific camp knew about it. They thought it was to just, hey, let's just start a war between these two homeless camps. Both men were hacked to death with the woodcutter axe. Um, however, Joe was acquitted after it was deemed 
the court didn't have enough evidence to convict him. He literally spent 18 months in jail awaiting trial, although the charges were dropped. Joe still claimed he didn't do it. Now, later on down the road, 2003, he decides to write a letter. This was handwritten by him. And he put some nice little interesting quotes. Joe stated that he found those homeless people while looking for his girlfriend and her new boo. And he basically said, I went under the bridge looking for them. And they were not there. But the two homeless motherfuckers that they used to get high with were down there. They were passed out on some old stinking ass mattresses and that's where they were when I left them expected they were dead for being chopped up that same night Joe describes that he basically killed three more people however there's no evidence or any confirmation of any of these deaths he doesn't know where he put the bodies. And then he went back again and wrote a nice little letter from prison that basically stated, Under that same bridge, I also killed two women and one man who was fishing, who just so happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. I weighed their bodies down and put them under the river. I showed the police where I put them about three years later. But they couldn't find them. This man is. It's like. Peter Piper with this man. It's so crazy. So fast forward. Um, a couple of years later. Joe was released from jail. Joe decides to. Lure. A young lady by the name of. Kimberly Spicer. And um. At the time, he, again, he was a convicted felon, so he worked at a pallet factory, and he lured Kimberly Spice to Joe Stein and Sons of Pallet Factory. That's pretty much where he lived, where he worked, and at the time, basically on November the 11th, 1996, it appeared that she came there on her own willingly after meeting Joe at the bar, um, at this little Mexican bar up the street. But Joe tried to sexually assault her. She resisted. Joe stabbed her numerous of times in the face, the neck, and nine times in the back. When she was discovered under Joe's trailer, December the 15th, 1996, the medical examiner found a beer bottle inside her body now according to Maryland's rules if the bottle was done before she was dead if the bottle was put there before she was dead it would be counted against him but because they assumed that the bottle was placed there after she was dead that's not an extra charge against him which is a little awkward but to each his own, right? That's their state rules. Doesn't qualify for everybody's state. But that's what they said. 
1997, of course, Joe stood on trial for stabbing, um, for the stabbing death of Kimberly Spicer. He confessed to killing her hours after her body was found. And he says, I killed her. I'm a very sick person. For the death of Kimberly Spicer and the attempted sex offender of Rita Kemper, um, Joe received a life sentence without parole about 50 years. Now, during the actual trial of Miss Spicer, which is one of the victims, not many, one of the victims who he basically sexually assaulted and stabbed to death, the floodgates were open and evidence was found to suggest that Joe had committed two other unsolved murders in the same area. Though at the time, Joe was convicted of death of a young lady by the name of Tori, whose body was found in 1994 near I-95 and Kenton Avenue, a short distance away from the pallet factory where he was stationed, lived, and well, he lived and worked there. Finally, Joe, finally, Joe was brought to trial for the first murders that he committed. And the last one he was tried for. He strangled Kathy Ann Magaziner in 1994. He decapitated her skeleton. And it was basically recovered by the police eventually near the pallet company after Joe led the police to the burial site. Um, she was wrapped in red tarp. And his own story, Joe details his involvement with Magaziner stating that they had met sometime around the 4th of July, 1994, right after his situation with his wife had begun. He stated he buried her body in the grave in the wooded area adjacent to the pallet factory. And before and after um, it had been buried for about six months, he dug her skull up, threw it in the trash, the box was eventually transported and kept in Oxford. Um, in the first attempt, nobody was found. Joe had been off by several feet. After a second go, the police eventually located the skeleton that was missing and the cranium. And they put it together. No one from her family or from Joe's family um, attended the trial. Joe was sentenced to death in November the, on November the 13th, 1998, which was overturned on July 24th of 2000 on the premises that there was no robbery during Magazine's death and that his crime didn't fall under specific rec recommended for the death penalty. So certain crimes that he had um, committed up until now didn't qualify him for the death penalty because um, as of May the 2nd, 2013, the state of Maryland no longer has any form of capital punishment. Joe claimed that he killed 10 people, although he only indicated 
on the murder of Spicer. Joe claims to have killed 10 people, although he was only indicted on the murders of Miss Spicer and Miss Magaziner and one other young lady. Although the darkest parts of his crimes aren't the claims of how many people he killed. It was what he ultimately did with their bodies. And he wrote another letter. He felt like writing letters was his thing. Okay. He was just like, I'm going to give you a bit of the truth. And then I'm going to back up. I'm going to show you where the bodies are. And then I'm going to back up. He writes a letter and basically states, I killed and butchered their bodies. I cut the meat up and put it in Tupperware bowls and put it in the freezer. <laughs> Shit. Over the next couple of weeks, on the weekend, I will open a little open pit beef stand. I had real roast beef and pork sandwiches. And why not? They were very good. The human bodies taste very similar to pork. If you mix it together, nobody will know the difference. This sick fuck. In his confession, he basically said the reason why he lured one of the people who actually survived Rita Kemper to his trailer was specific reason. He wanted to acquire more meat because they said that his his pork stand was jumping. In the end, Joe stated that he has no regrets at all. The only regret that he has, and this is coming from Joe himself, he stated that the only thing I feel bad about in any of this is I didn't get to murder the two motherfuckers I was really after. And that's my ex-old lady and the bastard she hooked up with. Ooh. Sounds a little tense there, bud. Joe officially died August the 5th. Of course, they don't know what his causes were. He was kept in a cell by himself because of the crimes that he committed. Um, as a final point, Joe the cannibal, Metheny, has left us with some wise words of advice. That's my horrible but true story. So the next time you're riding down the road and you happen to see an open pit beef stand that you've never seen before, make sure <laughs> you think about this story before you take a bite of that sandwich. Sometimes you never know what you might be eating. And of course he laughs because he thinks it's um, hilarious. But I'm not going to laugh because I don't think it's funny. <laughs> I'm glad you stuck with me until the end of this story. Because this is a little roller coaster. Your boy Joe the Cannibal Metheny was a sicko. But he is one of our sickos that we love for the month of October of 2020. And until again... We will be coming back on here to present you another criminal, okay? Um, 
If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions, you can always hit me up on my Instagram at D-U-R-T-T-Y underscore J-O-E. And just tell me who the next serial killer or criminal I should do. You let me know. And as always, it's going to be a beautiful day on the south side of GA. Thank you.